the Othello Foursquare podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit othellofoursquare.org. Okay, get out your Bibles. We're going to go back to Psalms 23. Who knows this psalm? I'm just going to keep asking it. Who knows it? Just be honest. I know this. Say, I've read it. So we have 75%. Okay, so we're going to go back. Some people don't know it. No, we all know it, right? (laughs) Go Psalms 23. I want us to read it again out loud. I'm reading it in the New King James Version. I want this. This is my goal. If you're going through your week, if you stop on a day, that the Lord will remind you of this psalm and he would begin to, to speak to your life specifically through these words. Okay, so let's read it, starting on verse 1, Psalms 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, so powerful. So just now verse 6 is what we're going to focus on today. And I want to talk about, we've been talking about how God, the Lord is our shepherd, how he's our protector, he's our provider. But I want to talk about three promises that we can see in this psalm. His goodness, his mercy will follow us, follow us all the days of our life. And then the promise of eternal life when we leave this earth. And so these are, this, that's what I want to talk about. But I want to first start off talking about his goodness. If you guys were listening at all today, everything we were saying was, God is good. <laughs> he is good. And goodness is an attribute of God. So you've probably heard of the attributes of God. Maybe you haven't. But to help us understand this for a moment. So there was a moment when Moses asked God, he said, show me your glory. Okay, so he asked them, in essence, and this was after all the plagues. This was after the, he met face to face with God. After he saw and God gave him the law on the mountain. He says, Lord, show me your glory. So I want to give you a practical definition of the word glory. Because that sometimes to many people is like, what does that mean? A practical definition is, it's what someone's famous for. So in essence, Moses is saying, Lord, show me what you're famous for. For instance, if I said Tiger Woods, what would you guys, what would you guys think? Golf. Golf. That's, that's what he's famous for. He, ha- he has gotten glory for being a really great, maybe the best golfer. Okay? Michael Jordan? Oh, tennis shoes. Okay. Basketball. Basket weaving. He's really good at basket weaving. <laughs> but that's what, that, that's what he's gotten glory for. And so, but, but I want to tell you, an attribute, it's, it, an attribute is something God is, not something God does. Come on. 
Okay, so this is what he says, though. This is what he says when Moses asks him, show me your glory. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. Verse 18. And he said, this is Moses, please show me your glory. Next verse. Then he, capital H, this is God, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. If you want to know what I'm good at, it's I'm goodness. You want to know what I'm famous for? And I'm famous for everything because I'm God. But I'm really good at being good. So, like I said, this is who he is. It's not what he does. He does good because he is good. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Psalm 119 tells us this. 119 verse 68 says, you are good and do good. He is good, therefore he does good. So, but the thing about God is all his attributes, they work together. All of them. For instance, many of you guys have heard this, and this is who God is. He is infinite. God is infinite. That means he can't be measured. He has no limits. He has no bounds. So we, if you think about the sun, the light of the sun, the light of the sun can be measured. Just think about that for a moment. The light of the sun can be measured. Therefore, it's not infinite light. But now think about this with the goodness of God. God is infinitely good. His goodness cannot be measured. In other words, he'll never have a bad day. There's no end to his goodness. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Think about what the psalmist is saying. Your goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Another one of his attributes is he's immutable. What this means is he can't change. This is who God is. So once again, he can never be bad. He's good and he'll always be good. He's omnipotent. He has all power. Now when you think about his goodness, all power for what? All power to be good. If you don't think that we serve a good God, and we're going to keep going into this, but you have to understand, all power to be good, infinitely good, can't be measured. This is the God we serve. He's omnipresent. What does that mean? He's everywhere. His goodness is everywhere. There are so many things all through Scripture about his goodness. The people in the, in, in the Bible, they, they, can, they can testify to this. If they were here right now, we had them lined up here in the front row. They'd be like, yep, I was in the fire. Actually, Shadrach and Meshach were there too. Abednego, we were all there. And it was, it, it, but who, guess who showed up? God, because he's good. We talk about walking through the valley. Some, some of us, we need to realize this, and I feel like we've, a lot of people have been saying this, but you may walk through the valley, but guess who comes alongside you? The helper. He's right there. How easy would it have been for even for that, for God to say, let me get you out of the fire. Instead, he inserts himself in the fire where it doesn't burn. See, to a believer, when you're on fire, the fire doesn't really get you. I've never been on fire in that practical way, but you know what I mean. <laughs> 
He's good and he works everything for his good. Paul says this. That's what Paul says. He's so good that he works everything for good. One of the greatest attacks of Satan, though, is to get us to doubt or disbelieve the goodness of God. I'm going to be honest. I kind of, I feel that a little bit as we, sometimes when we start, start sharing testimonies, right? We can all, because we automatically, what comes in your mind? The thing that happened. The enemy says, well, if God's good, why did he allow that? He, but the, Satan is the author of bad. He brought evil into the world. He brought death, disease, murder, hatred, rape. He brought that into the world. But what Satan does to accuse God of not being good is he uses his work as evidence. His work as evidence against God. So it's his work that he's trying to say, look, God's not good. But he's the author of bad. So if we, in turn, correct, correct theology would say, when someone says that, well, if God's so good, why does he? No, no, no. The enemy is the one who brings that on. So he, he's the author of bad. That's what we should, that's what we need to be, our, we need to ha- understand correctly that he is the author of bad. But God is good. I heard this one guy say one time, well, and I'm sure many you guys have probably heard something similar to this, but he, he goes, I look around at all the, the death and famine and hate in the world, and I think, is this the best God could do? You ever heard that? And it's like, no, it's not the best. This is the best we could do. There was a fall of man. But God is good. God created the world, he gave it to us, and we're the ones that really messed it up. But Satan comes along and says, this is his lie. And I, I, I want to say this again because this is what he'll come around and say. Has God really said? Did God really say? You guys remember an instance when he said that in the Bible? Let's go, the very beginning. The very beginning. It's the first thing he did with Adam and Eve. He said, God's holding back on you. He's not that good. He's not as good as you think he is. And he began to try to put doubt in their mind. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but I, this, got, this, this verse 6 got me thinking about this. Why were we even created? Why were we created by God? It's the goodness of God. And I'm going to quote you a scripture that most of you probably know the gist of it. And then we'll read the, the very next, the next one after it. To, for us to shed some light on how good God is. James 1, 17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of churning. This is the immu- immutability of God. He doesn't change. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of light. Now, verse 18. 
says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So in a, what is he saying? All good gifts come from, from God and he, brought, and he brought us forth. You're a good gift. How many times the enemy say, you're not good enough. You're not valuable. Every good and perfect gift comes from who? From God. And he says, of his own will, he brought us forth. You're the us. You're that who he's talking about. He brought you forth. Some of you need to go home and just begin. It's not just the world will kind of has an idea of this. Begin to recite these things. I'm strong. I'm good. I'm, I'm capable. But let me tell you something. When you start now declaring the word of God over your life, watch how your spirit and everything lines up and God begins to do a work in you. Because you need to know, I am good. He created me good. But the thing is, going back to the question of, so how could we were nothing, he created us to be something. How could nothing create something? You didn't do anything to deserve to be alive. But he said, I still want you. And what I create is good. And you're good. Receive that this, receive that this morning. Are you following me? How good God is? So what was he looking for, though, in everything he created? To see if it was good. Everything he created at the beginning, he cre- day one, what he create? It's good. Day two, same thing. Except for the sixth day, halfway through it, he goes, hmm, it's not that good. This was man, guys, all right? <laughs> he created man. He says, I, I, there needs to be something else. I wonder, though, there's, he probably saw Adam, and Adam was like one of the monkeys running around and thinking, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. And then Eve straightened him out, said, stop picking your nose, you know. Don't scratch there. You're not supposed to do that in public. <laughs> but that's who he is. He, everything, so he creates. I'm just kidding. That's not what he said. <laughs> he said it's not good for man to be alone. But then, after he created woman, he looked at man and woman and said, okay, now this is good. That's good. And so when he created you, he said, that's good. You know that there, there's a, because I want to share this story about this, this girl. Her name is Amy Carmichael. Any of you guys know that name? She was born 1957. She was, she was born in Ireland. She got saved when she was about 16 years old. She heard a missionary come to the church. He preached, she gave her life to Christ, and she's like, I want to go to the mission field. So at that time, you had to apply based on your denomination to go to be a missionary. So she did. They kept denying her. Finally, she got through. She's like, yay, I can go be a missionary. So she goes. First, she's like, I want to go to China. Well, she goes to China. She spends very little time there, and she comes down with a disease, the neuralgia, which is a nerve disease. 
she comes, so she has to come back to the States. Or she returns home. And a few months later, she's like, this is what I feel called to do. Even though she had this disease that she came down with, God calls her then to Japan. She goes and serves a little bit of time as a missionary in Japan. Same thing. The disease she had was unbearable. She had to come home to get treatment and just be in a more comfortable place. Finally, someone begins to talk to her. She goes, hey, you know, you should really go to India to be a missionary over there. And she goes, okay, I'm going to go to India. And remember, she was born in Ireland. So she has light skin, but dark brown hair, um, like eyebrows dark brown, but her skin's very light complected. All her life, she was kind of teased about that. And when she would pray, she shared this, but she would pray and say, God, why, I, I, I just wish I could, I could be different. And I want blue eyes like all my, my other friends. They all had blue eyes. She had brown eyes, brown hair. And so this is years later. And she's in India she gets there, she begins to share, or she begins to do this, this work where she would go and adopt these little girls who were being sold to prostitution to these temples, and she would bring them out. And this is, this is the awesome thing about this story. Before she would go and get them, where she would go and get them, she would get coffee grounds and begin to rub, her, rub them on her skin to change the color or complexion so that she would be able to go into the place. And one day she was looking at, as she was putting on the coffee ground, she's looking in the mirror and God begins to show her and reveal to her, hey, she notices her brown eyes. And in that moment he goes, that's why I never changed them. That's why I gave you what you have, those brown eyes. Thousands and thousands of little girls were, were saved from her work and her missions. Even the Queen of England began to fund what she was doing. Ain't God good? How you don't even think some of the things you have in your life, and you think, why do I got this? Lord, why did you make me like this? And he can use, he's good, and he uses everything for his good. And that's who he is. The second promise, though, this is who God is. His goodness follows us, but also we get to receive the promise of his mercy. Justice and mercy are used a lot in the Bible. They're used together in the Bible. Psalm 101.1 says, I will sing of mercy and justice. Now, the reason that's a little strange in your mind is because <laughs> these things are opposites. Justice and mercy, when you think about it. Justice is giving you what you deserve. Mercy is, giving, is not giving you what you deserve. I'll say that again. Justice is giving you what you deserve. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. So, and grace is giving you what you don't deserve. How could, so how could a fully just, and God be fully just and fully merciful at the same time? Well, it's because of this word, impute. Psalms 32, 2. 
impute. I'll say it again, impute. Psalms 32.2 says, Blesses the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word impute means to put in one's account. Okay, so we'll read it again in that way. Blessed is a man whom the Lord does not put his iniquity in his account. This then is quoted in Romans 4. Romans 4, 3, this is what Abraham says. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The word accounted now here, that it's, so we read that in Psalms and now we read that in Romans. The word accounted here was, it's the exact same word in the Greek as impute. But the authors, they understood, we would understand this as an accounting word. And so, what is he saying? Righteousness was put in his account. So I want you to think about this. Blessed is the man, okay, and Roman quotes it, what David says in Psalms. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not put iniquity in his account. And blessed is the man that the Lord puts righteousness in his account. Is what Abraham says. And then it goes down. You can read it. Romans 4, 22 and 23. And actually, let's read it. It says, and this is later on. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. But also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Not putting their sins in their account. Remember, that's for the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the question is, how does God give us what we deserve and not give us what we deserve? How is God just and how is he merciful? It's very simple. He takes all of our sin out of our account and he puts it on his son. And then he takes Jesus' righteousness from his account and puts it in our account. That's how he is just and merciful at the same time. That's why I love witnessing to people who've never heard the gospel and the truth. Because they think this, this is mind-blowing. That can't be true. It's too good. Yeah, that's the gospel. But that's what it is. It's he put all the sin, all the junk, all the things in your life, he put it in his son's account and he nailed it to the cross. And then he goes, and you receive by faith this what I've given you and now receive the righteousness that I've now put in your account. It's just beautiful. Lamentations 3.22. This is what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
great is your faithfulness. I'll tell you something. I need the mercy of God just as much today as I did when I gave my life to him. And they're new every morning. Here's what's great about Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy are following us. All the days of our life, they're following us. And here, I read, I read the crucifixion story, right? We read it, read it many times, but one year it hit me. And d- during the crucifixion story, I just began to think, I'm Barabbas. Barabbas was one of the three men that committed a crime, but he also committed murder. And then Pilate stands before the people and says, we have a custom that during Passover, we, we release one of the prisoners. He then, the people say, release Barabbas. And so you can just imagine, Barabbas is in his prison cell, just committed murder. He just did a crime. He's with his other two buddies that he did it with. And the guard comes down, walking down the hall, opens his door, says, you're free to go. What? Like, are you serious? He probably asked the guard, are you, are you sure? Because not only did he commit a crime, but he was the one who committed murder. So he did the most. And the guard says, you're free to go. Well, he probably said, well, how, why? And you can just imagine, the Bible doesn't say this, but you can just imagine the guard saying, well, it's because Jesus is taking your place. His goodness and mercy is running after us. And just months ago, you know, this is what the Lord showed me through a friend. He goes, Barabbas, this is good. If God, if God ain't good enough, this is even better. The name in Hebrew, Bar Abba, son of the father. <laughs> son of the father. Barabbas who was released. You are a son, you are a daughter of the father. And he says, I'm coming to release you, but my son has already, he's going to take your place. So receive that today because you are free indeed. The third promise, this is great. These are, uh, this is an awesome promise. His goodness and mercy follow us. This makes me want to shout for joy. But the third promise to us is eternal life. Verse 6 says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now he's talking about heaven. Okay. Um, sometimes when we see the house of the Lord, we think the church, the building. He's not talking about church. We're not going to dwell in the house of the church forever. Uh, the church forever. As a kid, you think you are. Yeah, you do. Huh? It, it, I mean, it can't be five, ten minutes and you're like, you're, yeah, you're asking your mom, when are we leaving? When are we going? And then you can't talk. That's, you feel like you're going to be there forever. But, and there was actually this, there, I heard a story about this, this kid and his father. They walk into the church and they're walking, you know, into the entrance and there's these plaques on the wall. And the son asked the dad, 
Dad, what are, what are the names? What are, those pla- what are those plaques for? And the, the father tells him, well, son, it's, those are the names of the men who died in the service. And then the son goes, which one? The 9 or the 11 o'clock? <laughs> All right, some of, you, <laughs> some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he thought they died because the service was so long and boring and they dwelt in the house of the Lord forever. They just passed away in church. <laughs> but it was <laughs> that wasn't his promise. His promise is we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you believe me that there's a verse that says this exact thing? 1 John 2.25. And this is the promise that he promised us. Eternal life. So I'm going to sum up Psalm 23 right here. Okay, All of this, green pastures, still waters, restoration of my soul, protection from my enemies, my cup overflows, anointing, goodness and mercy. And I get to dwell in heaven forever with our king. That's a beautiful thing. I just want to remind you, our shepherd became a sheep. The creator of the universe became a sheep. And do you remember what happened to him when he became a sheep? Isaiah 53, 7. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, tell us what kind of day it was. Mark fifteen thirty three. This is what it says. Now when the sixth hour had come, okay, so this is noon. Okay, so the day started at 6 a.m. So the sixth hour would have been noon. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour which would have been 3 o'clock. That's when Jesus cried out. And that's when he said, it is finished, and he died. Okay, so it was dark now. Now I want to show you this verse. Because there's a whole bunch of verses in the Old Testament that sometimes we can just read over. But Ezekiel thirty-four twelve. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep. Picture that, right? Crucifixion. So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. If you don't think the Bible is just perfect, you got to just keep reading it because <laughs> it, it's amazing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that is his promise. Let's stand. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to partner with OFC, you can give on our website, othellofoursquare.org. Have a blessed day. We'll see you next time.